Dennis Sarfate making his first appearance. What will you do to defend the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Welcome to the Green Dragon Tavern, where we talk a little treason. I'm Zach Lautenschlager. Dennis Sarfate is out today. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. These are some of the best-known words of the U.S. Constitution. That is, of course, the Second Amendment. One of ten passed after the Constitution was ratified, or at least uh, adopted. Um, and Yes, and after it was ratified. And uh, was done so at the insistence of people like Patrick Henry. Um, there was uh, a clear concern that the Constitution, being uh, a specified powers document, did not place enough restriction, enough explicit restriction, on the federal government. What does that mean? Well, uh, an explicit powers document means that unless this document says government can do it, it can't. That was the original intent and the clear original intent of uh, Madison and the drafters, the framers of the Constitution. Um, and it is the way you want to go. You do not want an implied powers document, which uh, allows government to do anything that is not forbidden to do. That is a serious problem. You certainly do not want a federal government with that much power. So everyone actually agreed about that. Henry agreed. Everyone agreed. Uh, but the long-sighted Henry and his fellow anti-federalists, as they came to be called, even though that's a little bit of a misnomer from my perspective, um, they looked ahead and they said, People are not going to just assume that. We cannot uh, securely place the future of our nation on the assumption that people in future will know that that's what we meant. And so one of the concessions that uh, was agreed upon was that there would be a series of amendments to the Constitution itself after it was ratified, because it had already been written, it was already in the ratification process. And those Ten Amendments would do two things. They would explicitly outline key rights by limiting government power, and then one of them would, it would directly say that unless this Constitution says the federal government can do it, they can't. That's what the, what the Tenth Amendment was. That became the Tenth Amendment, uh, reserving all powers to the states unless it was, they were specifically granted to the federal government. And furthermore, um, this is consistent with the document because the different sections grant powers to specific offices and specific bodies. And so um, that was, it ties up this whole thing and it makes it clear that not only are the powers limited to the federal government, but the powers are limited within the branches. Um, the president is given uh, a very limited number of powers in the Constitution, the Supreme Court, a very limited number of powers, and Congress a limited number of powers, although they are much greater they're, they're, uh, comparatively. Um, the reason they did that did this was uh, manifold. There are many reasons. Um, number one, uh, they don't want, and, they, and we don't want, a, anyone in, fed, in federal office exercising powers they weren't given and taking powers from other branches to get the job done, quote-unquote. Um, this simply means that it's no longer an express powers document that the federal government can now take powers to itself and trade them around, and uh, they end up with more power. Um, the other reason, and this is a major uh, uh, foundation stone or cornerstone of the American way of thought, you want these different branches competing against one another. 
Uh, you want the president and the Congress both jealously guarding their own powers and not allowing the other uh, to usurp them. Same goes with the judiciary, uh, with the federal courts. And so um, these are, uh, in, this is an important uh, element, and those balances are vital. Um, there is one driving concept uh, that is very remarkable uh, in the founders' vision for uh, federal government. And that is harnessing the self-interest of future politicians to the public good, to the good of the people who live here. Um, that Even those words have become a bit of a cliché, but it is impossible to trust that people yet unborn will do the right thing. And so you want as many safeguards and checks and balances as possible. And the best one is to harness the self-interest of the politician to the interest of the public. Uh, this is done through terms. Uh, each uh, public officer holds, uh, does not hold the office indefinitely. Um, even the courts uh, are there for good behavior. Um, but then you have the in the executive and legislative branches, there are specific years, and after that time, they have to be reelected in order to stay in office. And then, of course, Washington established a two-term uh, precedent for president, which is the only term limit that I support. We'll talk about that sometime. I know I've offended a wide swath of people probably by saying that, um, but it's an interesting discussion and one that I, th I think is worth having down the road. Uh, but what we're trying to do right now is lay the groundwork for uh, the amendments, and especially the Second Amendment. Now, it, it's hard to argue that uh, the Ten Amendments are placed in order of importance. That's not really true. The Tenth Amendment is very important. Um, but it is true that some of the most important rights uh, that God gives to humans are safeguarded by uh, the first several amendments. Um, and that the right to uh, the freedom of speech, the right to peaceably assemble and petition for redress of grievances, and the right to practice uh, your uh, religion, as our founders called it. By that, you can look at it. They meant Christianity. Um, it's an historical fact. We can argue about it, about whether or not it's a good idea, but you can't argue about whether or not the founders, what they meant. They meant uh, different uh, branches of Christianity. Um, those are all defended uh, or safeguarded by the First Amendment. They're not granted. Uh, our founders were very specific about that. They believed, as we believe, that rights come from God, not from government. That is absolutely vital. You really don't want your rights granted by a bunch of other human beings who have a lot of power. Uh, that is contrary to the entire concept of a right. A right is something that you have um, and are, must use in the face of power often. And so that's the First Amendment. The Second Amendment is uh, equally important. It essentially guarantees and defends your right to life. And that is an important note. Um, you do not have a right to defend yourself if you do not have a right to life. And conversely, if you do not have a right to defend yourself, then you really don't have a right to life. The two are inseparable. If you have a right to life, then you have a right to defend it. This is why the Second Amendment is at its core about preserving and defending life. Attendant to that is your right to, the, to um, liberty um, and your right to the pursuit of happiness. We'll talk about those things as well, but this is the underpinning of the Second Amendment. If you cannot defend those rights 
then they, you for all you know, practical purposes, do not have them. This is why uh, primarily it's important to recognize that rights come from God. When men or women in government start impinging or infringing on those rights, um, your last line of defense is to say, well, I am not going to give it up. I am not going to stop doing the things that I must do in order to live in a faithful manner. For Christians, we say, and we point out, that we are not going to stop worshiping and serving God, not just on Sunday, but on every day, not just in church, but in every area of life. And if government wants to make us stop, um, they are going to have to use force to do it. And uh, that means we need to be able to defend ourselves. Now, I know that in some quarters that is a radical statement. People don't like, and especially people in government, don't like it when us ordinary common peons talk about using force to defend ourselves from government. I'm not sure why that should be a problem unless we're planning on using force to do bad things. Um, this discussion is always in the context of government taking bad action, doing wrong things, and it's not something that needs. we need a lot of work to define. This is the entire discussion of the American experience. How do you respond to government when they are wrong? Well, what does it mean for government to be wrong? Oh, I'm glad you asked. We've got about 2,000 years of recent history establishing what that is since the birth of Christ. Uh, we also have, depending on how you want to age the earth, I would submit it's six to 10,000 years, um, but it's at least to go back to uh, Noah um, and recognize that we have that experience as well, defining what government can and cannot do. When government tries to do things that it is not allowed to do by the creator of the universe, um, it is the responsibility of the citizen to speak up. Now, this doesn't mean you fly to arms immediately. Of course not. Um, this is what the First Amendment is for, the right to peaceably assemble and to petition for redress of grievances. Um, and in America, we have a long and proud history of peaceably assembling and doing just that. Everything from the Boston Tea Party, which is one of the most um, extreme examples of, of peaceable assembly, yes, even the royal governor of Massachusetts acknowledged that it was a peaceable assembly, um, to... Um, the, the Committees of Correspondence and the Sons of Liberty and uh, many other examples, fantastic examples that unfortunately I don't have time to get into, but sometime we'll talk about it. Um, this is the front first line of defense. Now, it has become a bit of a saying in America that there are three boxes defending freedom. First is the ballot box, right? Your vote or withholding your vote, replacing the people who hold office if they are violating their oaths of office, if they are not upholding the Constitution, that's what oath of office means, um, then they are out of line. And if they do not uh, amend their efforts, which is part of the ballot box, part of what we say when we say ballot box, we mean peaceably assembling and petitioning for redress of grievances. If that doesn't happen, well, then we vote you out. That is why elections must remain sacrosanct. And... Uh, yes, cheating is a problem, and we're not going to get into that. Just recognize that it's not over yet, not by a long shot. Um, and if you believe that cheating is so bad that you can't win, well, congratulations, you just made sure the bad guys win without even trying. Um, it's laughable. Um, it's, uh, so um, the importance of the ballot box cannot be overstated, and it is the way to peaceably govern those who are trying to uh, commit violence under color of law. 
trying to use the police to make you do things uh, that are wrong. Um, it's wrong for them to do so. We talked a minute ago about what does it mean for government to do bad things? How do we define what's good and what's bad? That's always the question. That's why people in government are uncomfortable. Whenever we talk about the Second Amendment, we say, well, ultimately, we want the freedom to defend ourselves. Um, well, they don't like it when we define what's good and bad for them to do. Well, we're not. <laughs> That's already been done. It's called the Constitution when it comes to the federal government. It's very clearly defined. It's easy to understand. If the Constitution doesn't say you can do it, you can't. Period. That's what the Tenth Amendment says. And frankly, and to be clear, if the Constitution doesn't say that you in your office can do this, then you can't. doesn't matter if it says another federal official can do it. You can't. And when you try to do it, it's our job to stop you. That's our job. And the first line of defense is the ballot box to vote you out. This is why I went into politics. It's why I've spent the last 25 years doing what I do. I've been blessed to be able to do it. And I can tell you from personal experience, it works great when you do it. The Second Amendment, which is what I defended for most of my career, is actually better off now than it was when I was born. The Second Amendment is better defended. You have better opportunity to uh, exercise your right to keep and bear arms. You know why? Because people have spent decades using the ballot box to fight back, to replace politicians who will not defend the Second Amendment until we get ones who will. And it's not about replacing, it's not about getting ones who are dedicated, it's about proving to all of them that if you don't do it your job, you won't have a job. We're the ones who decide that. So you may be frustrated by trying to do that, but ultimately it's because you've been doing it wrong. You've been doing it wrong uh, if you're losing consistently. Doesn't mean if you lose once or twice, but if you cannot win, you're doing it wrong. It still works just fine. I can tell you, I've done it. And I didn't start any, anywhere different than any one of our, any of our watchers. I was born in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota, uh, to a family that is still not wealthy. And so uh, that is an encapsulation of the first line of defense in def uh, of the Constitution, the ballot box. The second line of defense is the jury box. Uh, in our system, juries have the authority, and it is established and perfectly clear, to not only judge the facts of the case, but also to judge the law itself. And if it is ascertained that this law is unconstitutional by this jury, they have every authority to return a not guilty verdict. And there is nothing that the ju criminal justice system can do about that. And criminal justice is really what it's about. It's not just, it's criminal. Um, and unfortunately, it's becoming increasingly so. And so um, the corruption of the judicial system largely springs from the idea that the citizens who are called in to serve as a jury of peers, and peers to the person on trial, peers meaning we're all citizens in this country, um, when you are called in to serve, you not only have a sacred duty to judge whether or not the, the case has been proven, by the facts, you have a duty to judge whether or not the law itself is consistent with the Constitution. And if it is not, then out it goes. And you don't, you don't get to overturn the law, but you do get to refuse to, to convict. The third uh, line of defense and final is the cartridge box. Now, this comes from the time uh, when you carried your ammunition rolled up in a piece of paper, and it consisted of gunpowder and a lead ball in a rolled up piece of paper, you would tear that piece of paper open and dump it in the end of the musket, like the one on the wall behind me, which actually, by the way, does shoot. It was the height of technology at its time. It is the rapid-fire assault weapon of its day, and in order to load it, you carried a leather pouch that, had a, uh, that was stiff and hard, 
and it had a wooden block inside with holes drilled in it, and you stuck your paper cartridge. They were about that long and about that big around, as big around as the bore of the weapon. And for any military weapon, you, you didn't have a powder horn and a sack of, of bullets. Um, that was a frontiersman, a hunter, a fine craftsman where uh, high accuracy matters. These are smoothbore weapons. The idea is rapid fire. Um, and so to load rapidly, you had that cartridge box. It was slung around your middle. And you opened that up and pulled out your round. Your round. That's why it was called a round. One of the reasons it's a paper tube. It tore it open, dumped in the powder, forced in the ball, stuck the paper in the end of the uh, weapon, rammed it down, and didn't take much force because the ball is smaller than the, than the bore. That's why it's called a smooth bore. And fired. And so when we refer to the cartridge box, we are referring to the Second Amendment, to weaponry. It is the final line of defense. Um, but it's amazing how well it works. In America, when you look around and say, why have we not experienced the same level of tyranny that almost every other nation in the world has experienced, and you can't count the West now, the West is tyrannized just as badly. Unfortunately, you can look at Canada, you can look at England, you can look at Australia, you can look at France, Germany, the rest of Europe. Um, it's not good. 2020 demonstrated that when government decides that we're going to starve you out, they can do it. And they did. And did it under the uh, guise of taking care of you. Um, why didn't that happen in the U.S.? Oh, it was, there were some pockets. Remarkably, the, the, uh, and I'm not saying that there is direct causation. It's correlative. But it's very tightly tied. Politicians who want to take your guns are the same politicians who want to say, for example, you can't have your job anymore. You have to stay in your home until we say so. You can't go to church. You can't go on a walk. You can't feed your children. You'll have to be dependent on us to do that. And oh, by the way, if our uh, inane policies cause massive inflation too bad, there's nothing you can do about it. It's remarkable that places in the United States that try to do that, let's take a look at California, cities in California especially, let's take a look at cities in, in the um, northeast. Um, these places decided that they could make you stay in your house if they wanted to. Um, they didn't round anybody up. They couldn't really lock you up for it. They talked about it. They tried. But why is it in America that the worst of the worst is nowhere near what happened in Australia, nowhere near what happened in the rest of the world, in, this, in the Western world even? It's because our, our people still have guns. That's why. That's the reality. And a government that knows that if it pushes too far, the people will just say no. And then it will have to say, okay, guess we can't do anything about that. Or it will have to push things to hot war. Government wants to say that, well, you can't possibly suggest that people should defend themselves, should have guns, because then we'll just have insurrection. See, January 6th, your argument loses. Well, I'm sorry, that's not an argument. That is not an argument. First of all, uh, the Second Amendment still says what it says. And second... The proper use of the Second Amendment is in defense, and we all know it. It hasn't happened yet. And to our side, I will repeat the line that's been, been repeated, don't take the bait. You do not want to be the aggressor. Why would you do that? Stop talking about it. The boogaloo boys, or when the balloon goes up, or when it hits the fan, these are all terms of taking the first action, usually, or responding inappropriately with, with uh, overwhelming force instead of recognizing that you are responsible before God for how you use your Second Amendment rights, and that if you become the aggressor, you are now the criminal and need to be stopped. That's the whole point. 
And so the underpinning of the Second Amendment is to recognize that um, it is for defense, and it is the last line. And if you have not been involved heavily in replacing politicians and in demonstrating that we will stand up and fight and stop you if you do not uh, keep your oath by electing someone else, and if you have not fought for uh, proper, the, a proper jury system and a truly just criminal system, a, a, an actual criminal justice system, then how dare you talk about flying to arms? Shame on you. For shame. You've been given more freedom than anyone in earth history, as far as we know. And that means you have better opportunity to defend that freedom than anyone on earth history. If you have to resort to using your firearms before you have exhausted every other means, then the greatest shame in history as regards liberty and freedom is on you. Period. It's really not a discussion. So the Second Amendment is the Second Amendment because it comes after the First Amendment, defending your rights with speech and with voting action. That's what peace, uh, assembling, peaceably assembling and petitioning for redress of grievances, that functions on the fact that you can kick them out of office if they don't do what you say. But the Second Amendment is, okay, now if, if that's not defended, if that doesn't happen, well, we're still going to do what's right. We're still going to go to work. We're still going to have church. We're still going to provide for our families. We're still going to build an economy. We're still going to own our property. We're still going to go places, drive around, walk around if we want to, as long as we are not harming others directly in doing so. And you claiming that I'm killing grandma by not wearing a mask or by walking outside my door doesn't count. We've done this before. This is part of Western jurisprudence. You don't have the authority. And sorry, we're going to do it anyway. Now, the glorious thing in America is when we all did that, government slunk off and said, all right, fine. That's the way it works. And that's what you should be expecting. That's what you should be looking for. Knowing very well that, yes, we have guns. Yes, they are in our closets. When necessary, they are carried on our hips and preferably concealed. Those who want to open carry usually are doing it for the wrong reason. Not to say always, you do have a right to open carry. Just because you have a right doesn't mean you necessarily should in every instance. And so... Uh, the Second Amendment is there as the background. It is the uh, fist of iron under the velvet glove. And you are, I want to say it again, you are responsible for how you use that. We have a long-standing attitude, especially among conservative Americans, but I mean, it's growing up, it's growing up even worse now, Black Lives Matter and the, you know, the, the pink pistols and the, the homosexuals who are going to fight back and shoot up places that says, if you don't give me what I want, I'm just going to pull out my gun and blast you. If I don't get what I want in traffic, I'm going to whip my pistol out and wave it around. I'm not pointing it at you, but I'm going to show you, I got one. If you don't give me what I want, then I'm, you know, we're going to road rage with guns. Um, yeah, that, that's the core of the anti-gun argument right there. Um, it's abused, it's misused, it's exactly what they bring out. And say, well, if we let people have guns, they'll abuse it. Well, first of all, no, they won't. <laughs> it's statistically demonstrated beyond any shadow of a doubt that the vast majority of people will not abuse it, and you can't stop the ones who are going to with gun control, so we'll talk about that in a while. But uh, the converse is also true. If you are joking around about, well, we'll I'll just go get my gun, we'll settle this. I'm going to meet the young man with a shotgun at the door. Okay, look, I get the joke, okay? I get the joke. 
But it's really not very funny, is it? Maybe it was funny when it was everybody knew, well, of course, we're not going to do that. Unfortunately, we do have a growing number of Americans who believe that shooting up a mall is a good idea. And so do we live in fear of that? No, because if someone tries, we stop them with guns. That's the way it works. That's what happens where I live. And hopefully that's what happens where you live. And if not, you should be fighting for that or moving away. And, but the reality remains that if we do not, if we want to make jokes about that kind of thing, it's really not going to work out very well. It is not going to be good. So um, it is important to recognize the underpinnings of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment guarantees the right to keep and bear arms to the individual. Now, in following weeks, we will be working through exactly why we know that. Why are the anti-gunners wrong when they say, no, that's only a collective right, that's a government right, you don't have the right, that's for the National Guard, et cetera, et cetera. It's laughable. They don't even believe that, and they know it. Um, the reality is uh, you do have a right to keep arms as an individual. That is a sacred responsibility. And it starts with using your speech and your political action to defend not only the right to keep and bear arms, but all other rights. The, the right to keep and bear arms is an underpinning, but that's the whole point. We win when we don't use them. Okay? That's the idea. Um, should we, do we need to be willing to defend ourselves and our rights when attacked? Oh, yeah. You bet. That's what it's there for. Um, we've gone... Uh, next year, it'll be 250 years without having to do that um, legitimately, although somebody's going to point out, yeah, but what about the Civil War? Okay, we can talk about that. But it's been a really long time, thankfully. And I believe it can continue to be hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, once you have that right and government knows that, yeah, if we push it too far, it, we're going to have to push it to hot war. You can tell. I mean, they talk about it. Well, you can. An AR-15 doesn't do any good. We've got F-16s, says uh, or something to that effect from, from Joe Biden. Oh, really? You're going to use nukes on us? Yeah, no, you're not. You know very well. Now, do they think about it? Do they fantasize about it? You bet. You bet. There are people in our government who are evil. Uh, but when push comes to shove and the American people stood up and said, yeah, no, we're not going to do it. We're not just going to roll over and let you forcibly vaccinate those who don't want to be vaccinated. We're not going to give up our livelihoods just because you say we can't go to work. We're not going to stop worshiping because you say we have to stay home. When we all did that, and the majority of us did, governments at every level had to say, oh, well, I guess we tried. That is a fantastic and tremendous victory, and let's not forget that that is the reality. So join us over the next several weeks. We'll be interviewing constitutional experts, constitutional attorneys. We'll be interviewing many of the men and women that I have worked with in my 25-year career who are on the front lines of defending the Second Amendment. Uh, we'll be talking with uh, people who have exercised their right to keep bare arms in high-stressful, high-visibility situations, um, and we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. So we hope you'll join, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week.